0: I've been waiting for so long oh to play goodness. that. That is, uh, of course, the Colonel Bogey March from a certain movie that we will be talking about momentarily. <laughs> uh, so um, you know, so, that
1: that that is so martial. So you know, <laughs> just, yeah.
0: the, uh, and the lyrics, uh, you know, which there are lyrics, are even funnier. Um, you can look them up, look them up online. The uh, they they reference. The Nazi leadership's um, virility. Let's just (laughs) leave it at that. Uh, So uh, you know the the, since we since Halloween, and in the less than three weeks now since the Harvey Weinstein thing broke, um, James Toback and I mean a whole bunch of other
1: other people. You know, two hundred plus women with James Toback. Which you know, I mean, first, well, first, it that was an opening bit of thirty-eight women. It's yeah. like it's like it 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 opened at thirty-eight yeah. women with him. Yeah. Uh, James Toback, whom I've interviewed several times, I yeah, think, whom, you've, Bugsy whom junket, you Bugsy know, Junket, man, uh, you know, yeah, uh, and, and 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 all of that, and I don't know, um, I don't want to, I don't want to again say, well, sure, I knew about all of that, so I don't, I don't well, think that that was the kind of open secret that Harvey was. Yeah, no,
0: not the same as Harvey. I mean, it's it, you know, the Toback stuff kind of came out of the blue. Everybody knew that Toback fancied himself a woman a womanizer in his younger days because his first film was The Pickup Artist, which yeah. was autobiographical or semi-autobiographical. So, you know, we he was already bragging about his yeah. his proclivities with that movie, but I don't think anybody... Like, did you read the, uh, the thing that just broke most recently with um, Selma Blair and Rachel McAdams, yeah. who both had... I mean, the Selma Blair... Well, both of them. They both are like, wow, really? Seriously? You know, yeah. like Selma Blair, he said, I don't think you... Uh, or he allegedly. Let's keep it there. He allegedly said, uh, "You know, I, I think you. I don't think you're. Uh, you need to get over your insecurities. You need to do this audition uh, without your clothes on." Like, yeah.
1: I, I mean, come on, man. I, I, if that's when,
0: if that's true, uh, I, those well, I, days I, are I, over. I
1: I I I believe it, and I, but I do think a lot of these guys are in fact stuck in the past. Yeah. Those those days are in fact over. Have been over for a long time. So a lot of these guys that we're looking at now. These are fairly old guys, older than me and you. Oh, oh yeah, you oh know? yeah. Uh, and you know, when we first hit this town, uh, you know, almost thirty years ago, and you and Bridget got into the acting games, these guys were around behaving this way then, yep. uh, and well before, sometimes yep. as much as a decade before. Yeah. Uh, and it's like they didn't get the memo. You I know. know. Um, and which is interesting to me that, you know, and and look, I'm sure that some younger men mostly will probably ultimately, but mostly we're talking about men of a certain age. And I got to tell you, I'm glad that that age is just a notch older than me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, and and the entire European parliament, let's not forget about them Yeah, (laughs) because it actually has spread overseas and, and into other fields of endeavor. Um, it's just a mess that won't, that won't stop.
0: Yes, indeed. And uh, you know, we, we, we had a bunch of uh emails about the uh, about the Harvey thing too, which um we will obviously consolidate and, and discuss on a on a future show.
1: I think this this thing is is it's all far, far from over. Well, we're uh, going into awards seasons, which yeah. means that some very specific considerations are gonna to have to start coming up. Yeah. Uh, about people and people's movies and producers and uh and and who's associated with what and yeah. and uh, and whether or not people should be rewarded and whether or not other people should be be punished because of something that someone who worked True. for a the movie that they you know why am I punishing Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. um you know cuz Harvey has a movie coming out with Benedict and I don't know maybe that movie sucks it doesn't really and and even that I I I haven't seen that movie yet yeah. Um but I know that when I go to see that movie, you know, as objective of a human being as I am, I'm gonna be thinking to myself, hmm. Yeah. Harvey. <laughs> Benedict. It's, Harvey, Harvey. And you know, and it's already not fair. It's not, it's tough.
0: Uh yeah, I I just Anyway, it is going to be an interesting award season. And uh we've the thing I'm most curious about is how how things are going to change over the next few years. Amazon's a player now. Netflix wants to be a player. Um, $8 billion. It's going to change everything. What are the Oscars going to look like
1: in five years?
0: I think uh, it could be a whole different thing. And this year is the beginning of the end of that. So,
1: Well, look, you and I were just talking about this right before we began the, the show today. right? Um, so uh, you, we're movie people. Yep. You know, theatrical movie people—that's what we like. It's what we do. But then again, on the other hand, you and I—you know—we're television people. You and I, you and I, are the actual original children of television. Yeah. And I think both of us can can admit that a good deal of what we're watching today—that's very, very, very good—is stuff that's either literally uh, on television Mm -hmm. or coming from some streaming service. Uh, And. Frankly, a, a lot of younger people that I know, that's where they get all their media. I'm teaching mm-hmm. a class right now at uh, the, 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 the university where you yep. used to teach. Yep, uh, yep. at Mount St. Mary's. St. Mary's. Uh, yeah. Mount St. Mary's University. And, uh, and, and these, young, these young women, these young women um, engage media completely and totally differently. My youngest student is 17 years old. Uh, I think my oldest student is maybe 25 years old. And they, they simply aren't engaging media the way you and I did. And I don't, I don't see them, uh, trumbling off to the movie every week the way you and the way I that did. we did. I know, and, you know, and, it's all
0: changed. Uh, the behavior—they don't go to restaurants as much. No, you know, uh, yeah, it's a whole different behavior. It's all switching up, and it'll someday switch back again. I, I've been, I'm on the record as saying I think movie palaces will come back someday.
1: They will. Uh, everything else has. Yeah, you
0: know. there, the day will come when. You have a generation that realizes that people used to, you know, dress up and go and see big event movies in great big, you know, uh, rococo palaces that, you know, had all kinds of weird art deco furnishings. And, you know, you had a lounge and you could sit. And they're going to think, wait a minute, you know, I go to the theater and it uh, kind of sucks. It's sort of
1: generic. I want a movie palace again. And some smart person will say, here it is. Yeah, There's and 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 the content will have to be suitable. Yeah, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean you know action film with yeah. superhero. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the content might be like the kind you're holding. You're holding. Uh, we'll we'll get to this in just a moment, and this will
0: yeah this will be the. Uh, <laughs> the that's the kind of
1: movie that folks would have dressed up to go see.
0: Exactly, exactly, and of course the uh, the intro from the uh, from the show speaks to it. So Bridge on the River Kwai. The uh, 1957 Academy Award winner for Best Picture won seven of its eight Academy Award uh, nominations. The only one, a little bit of trivia, do you know which one of its uh, eight nominations it did not win? No. Best Supporting Actor for Sisue Hayakawa. Ah. Who was a student of my father's. Yeah, yeah. When he was, because, and it's funny, my father, of course, in an an earlier life, long before I was born, uh, taught people who had been in the silence... How to Speak for the Talkies. He did all of that stuff from Singing in the Rain, you know, I can't stand him, all that stuff. (laughs) I can't stand him. So, and uh, Seswe Hayakawa had been a huge silent film star. People don't realize that. You think, you know, uh, racism and, you know, sort of the 1920s and, you know, especially how people felt about Asians in America, you know, that it was uh, they're the other and there weren't large Asian populations here and, you know, then the war comes around. I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of validity to that. However... Seswe Hayakawa was you know Charlie Chan right never played yeah, but never yeah. played by a, an Asian actor but no, Seswe Hayakawa he was something of an exception he was re- a real matinee idol I mean he was a he was a big deal in the 1920s and then when talkies came around uh-oh mm-hmm. you know it's the it's the thing from the artist right you know yeah, which which yeah. you find out <laughs> yeah. the with that accent and you you know you can't speak english okay suddenly now you're expected to talk so he was uh, my father he was when he was still a very young man my, he was a student of my father's I still have a signed yeah. picture yeah, you know, oh, when he's a very wow. slender face. But um, he, of course, did uh, many other fine films, got a little bit typecast and stereotyped for obvious reasons. But boy, I'll tell you, Bridge in the River Kwai, he just kills it. He's, he's fantastic. He holds his own with Alec Guinness in a beautiful way and got an Oscar nomination for it, but he was the only
1: one to not get an mm-hmm. award. Jack Hawkins, David Lean, of course. Yeah. Uh, and so what is, so what, what is this so, particular edition? The Kwai is now out on
0: 4K. Now, this is a big deal this is a really really big deal because a lot of studios and and sony and universal uh, chief among them they're still not apparently convinced that 4k is is going to be a mainstream format the 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 uh, feeling is that not a lot of people are jumping up to 4k blu-ray they're getting their 4k TVs but mainly for sports and gaming and other things and that the whole idea of getting you know a 4k blu-ray player It's not being adopted as robustly as was, say, DVD after VHS, or even Blu-ray to a somewhat lesser degree after after DVD. So, and and really, the reason is pretty obvious, which is there's a huge installed base of of high-def televisions and of Blu-ray players, which give you really, really good quality. And unless you're above, you know, 50 inches, you're probably not going to see a lot of a significant leap from from regular Blu-ray to uh, to, to 4K. Um, However, it is worth pointing out that some movies transcend that, and uh, Bridge in the River Kwai is one of them. The reason this is such a big deal is because most of the movies being released on 4K these days are sort of newish movies, and the people are not really dipping into their libraries as yet. And they're especially not going after old Oscar winners, which they should be. Mm. When Lawrence of Arabia and Ben-Hur and The Sound of Music start making their 4K debuts, then you know we're through the looking glass and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole new game. However, uh, the first ever Academy Award-winning best picture to be released on 4K just a few weeks ago was Unforgiven. Clint Eastwood's film. Bridge in the River Kwai is the second. Mm. Very interesting. So... That's
1: where we are Perhaps now. Perhaps a bit of a commitment after all.
0: Yeah. So uh, I do applaud Sony for for putting this out there. It is it is thin. Now this is the other thing. It is thin on the extras, as is the case with blue with the four K Ultra HD releases. the 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 disc itself is pretty well slammed. Just putting the movie on, so you're always going to get that second disc, which has all the extras. And here you have. A second disc that contains a Blu-ray version of the movie, along with some extras. Uh, Crossing the Bridge, which is a picture-in-graphics picture in track, is on disc two. Uh, William Holden and Alec Guinness uh, make an appearance on the Steve Allen show to uh, promote it. Yeah. And uh, there's an archival audio recording of William Holden narrating the movie at its premiere and um all of that is fine and well the, the the first disc the 4k disc is the movie only the thing the big question a lot of people have and and i will say this uh, uh it is it's a really really good 4k transfer it's a really good 4k transfer uh my impression of comparing it with the blu-ray is that the um it's the same 4k transfer so they mastered it in 4k oh. for the original blu-ray and then just pulled out that master and, and slapped it on here without any, not obviously needing less compression. Right. So there's not a lot of skin off of uh, Sony's back to actually do this. But you
1: see all, all the same artifacts.
0: It's, yeah, I mean, it, and there's no artifacting per se. I mean, it's, it's, it's 4K just looks gorgeous. The, but the, the, the color is the same. The timing is the same. Uh, the timing's a little bit off in some places, mm. and that's the thing that's a little bit annoying. The film has a lot of day for night, mm-hmm. like you know, there's a lot, a lot of day for night stuff. When he's being, you know, when Guinness is being marched off to the hot box, that's day for night, and the day for night stuff isn't quite timed right. Wasn't done the first time. Hopefully, at some point in the future, they'll they'll you know kick in the cash and and go through, and you don't need to remaster the thing. You just need to color correct it, and you're you're good. So uh, hopefully that gets fixed. It's not enough to annoy anybody unless you're a complete anal-retentive lunatic like I am and you've seen this movie a thousand times. But uh, it's, it's still there. So it seems to be the same transfer. And um, uh, the HDR looks gorgeous. Everything about it is fantastic. I would highly recommend this as a double dip. However, however, the previous uh, Bridge of the River choir, the Blu-ray, was one of those gorgeous Warner Brothers Blu-ray books. Mm. With the color and the pictures and the booklet and the content. It just it's there's more stuff. It's just it's a more collectible thing. So uh, don't get rid of the Blu-ray. Hang on to that Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, because you got all of that. Even though you got a Blu-ray on this too. You have, yeah. But you know.
0: But hang on to that because it's a nice collector set. and You're gonna want to thumb through. Those I love that. Pages. I love
1: that graphic design too. Yeah, it's
0: nice. Box. It's a it's a cool yeah. new graphic design on the cover. It uh it's it's cool. It's kind of the uh, it's a little bit of the uh, Richard of
1: like, almost like a rotoscopy sort of. Uh, yeah, it's
0: a little bit yeah. like uh like the Waking Life.
1: Yeah. Book. Yeah.
0: yeah. So anyway, Bridge in the River Choir 60th anniversary release uh seven time academy award winner the first film that uh, david lean won an oscar for he would go on to uh win another one with lawrence of arabia just five years later and uh, this is this is from the great heyday important to note too this was uh written by carl foreman and michael wilson michael wilson a blacklisted writer who received his credit uh posthumously uh, he also received a posthumous credit for Lawrence of Arabia, which I don't believe he deserves. But nonetheless, uh, l- interestingly, this adapted from a novel by Pierre Boulle, who wrote uh, uh, Planet, of the Apes, Planet of the Apes, that yeah. source material, and uh, a lot of other fun stories about this movie. Uh, they were both back- blacklisted, right? Both oh, so? Foreman and, uh, yeah. and Wilson, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, though, Wilson, uh, was his name was kept off for many, many years. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: there it is. Interesting. Uh, what do I got? I got uh, I got Kenji Fuka, Fuka uh "The Green Slime" from the Warner <laughs> uh, Archive collection. Yeah, you know what I like most about this movie, huh. uh, aside from the fact that it has a giant one-eyed green slime monster yeah. in it. it, <laughs> uh, is great. that Richard Jekyll is in it? I love Richard Jekyll. Oh, He's one of Richard those Jail. '70s television guys. One you of the know. '70s guys with the who always played bad guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the hair. And he eventually, yeah. you know, he was yeah. always fantastic. Loved him. This is 1968. Uh, it's, uh, it's about an asteroid that's hurtling toward Earth, and these, um, astronauts who are on a space station go off, over to the asteroid to blow it up. Uh, man, they they read that story, uh, like, uh, 50 times, uh, at least, uh, over the course of the next, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. Uh, but it's always a neat story. In any case, they get back to the space station, they figure out that this slimy thing, the slimy thing has an eye, and it goes all crazy. It's kind of neat. Uh, invaders from Mars. The, the 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 film is The Green Slime 1968, uh Kinji. There's absolutely nothing on this uh, they, they, Warner Warner. I guess they don't do that, huh? They, they do this, sometimes. There's this, a few on some of these others. This was rated G back in the day. Isn't that funny? Which I think is sort of interesting too. Yeah.
0: Also from the Warner Archive collection. Uh a couple of cool ones here. Jack London's the Sea Wolf, uh the Jack London novel. The Sea Wolf was—I mean, back in the day when Jack London was a huge thing. Uh, this is from the uh, from 1941. Was made as a movie with Edward G. Robinson and Ida Lupino and John Garfield. Uh, it's a pretty good film. Uh, Michael Curtiz directed this. Uh, you know, he was he, right in the right in his Casablanca era. And um, it, you know, I I'm not a huge fan of Jack London's novels to begin with. They just all kind of strike ah. me as. Well, he's like sort of the North American Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, yeah, you know with, I mean? the, with the dogs and the wolves. It just, and the... It's very, it's just, uh, you know, it's all adventure and not much else. However. He uses um, the
1: word wolf a lot, too.
0: Edward, Edward G. Robinson is is very good in this. It's not a typical part for him, you know, playing a crusty old sea captain. But um, he's good. Ida Lupino I just always adore, even if she's miscast like she is here. So, uh Anyway, this is a restored length of this. Uh, The film has not been seen in its original length for quite some time. They restored it to its proper running time, as opposed to the truncated running time that it had for a long time. So it's now 100 minutes as opposed to 86, and uh, completely beautifully, beautifully restored from uh, original nitrate elements. It is a gorgeous Warner Archive transfer. So, uh, again, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the movie, but I, I uh, I do like this particular transfer of it. Also, I am a big fan of Brigadoon. Oh, yes. Love Brigadoon. Uh, early learner in low film with Sid uh, and Gene Kelly and Van Johnson tagging along, looking very much like a third wheel. Uh, produced by Arthur Freed, who exposed himself to. Uh, Uh, A a twelve year old Shirley Temple. You know that that story's Uh, been circulating a lot more lately with Harvey Weinstein. Oh yeah, now we. That's the famous story. Is that Arthur? Is that Shirley Temple and her mom went from meeting on uh, on the MGM lot? Shirley Temple was I guess twelve years older. Was she even twelve? She was maybe not like eleven. I think. And uh, not that it matters. You know. <laughs> um, and um, Arthur Freed took her into one room while her mom went into Louis B. Mayer's office. And while Arthur Freed exposed himself to Shirley Temple, who proceeded to laugh at him, Louis B. Mayer was chasing her mom around the desk. Hollywood. True stuff. <laughs> it's like, you know, wow, man. Anyway, uh, so Arthur Freed produced this, Vincent Minnelli directed, and it is a wonderful, wonderful film about a couple of guys that happened across that Scottish village that comes alive once a century or whatever it is, and uh, for just one day, just yeah. one day. And then he gets a one-day romance with Sigurice, and they do a lot of great dancing, and people do that little sword dance. And uh, if you don't know the movie or how wonderful it is, how truly wonderful it is, and how brilliantly colorful it is, and it's fantastic cinemascope that the Warner Archive people have beautifully <laughs> preserved, uh, then at least watch Four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. in, in which, uh, what's his name, has that great line, Simon Simon
1: Simon Callow. Yeah, yeah.
0: When he when he says when he says uh, 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 it's, it's Brigadoon, when everyone's <laughs> dancing at the <laughs> wedding. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Simon Callow. Uh, so anyway,
1: yes, uh, Brigadoon on the Warner Archive Collection also fantastic. oh Wow, it's a wonderful episode of Lucy that uses the Brigadoon theme as a backdrop. Oh yeah, a dragon and everything is whatever silly. Uh, waiting for Guffman. Believe it or not, waiting for Guffman. Was 1996. That makes me a little bit dizzy. Uh, Came out in '97. Anyway, Christopher Guest, absolutely fantastic film, of course, um, uh, that Christopher Guest stars in. He didn't star in a whole bunch of those films all the time, Christopher. No. Uh, but this one directed you know, him. But yeah, this is the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah you know, writing is right. But, but he but he puts himself in this one and right at the center of it, and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, about a small town in Missouri uh, who learns that a Broadway, who think that a Broadway so funny uh, producer is coming to town and, and go all crazy. Eugene Levy, one of the uh, co-writer on this and. Rid Willard and Catherine O'Hara, and just the whole dadgum. It's it's the the whole team, the whole yeah, troupe. Exactly, exactly, just all there together, and the band is really really hot. It's just it's just an absolutely wonderful movie. This is from the Warner Archive Collection as well. A couple of special features, which include an audio commentary uh, a track for, uh, with Christopher uh, and Eugene Levy, and a few additional scenes, uh, and, and you know, theatrical trailer stuff like that. Not you know it's, it's not packed, yep. not jam packed yep. or anything, yep. but frankly. I would mostly put this in and turn on that commentary track and sit back and just have a hoot and hear what these guys have to say. That's what I would do with that.
0: And I should tease too, we uh, we do have another interview today, but it relates to one of the movies that's gonna be mentioned today, kind of relates to it. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait till we get there. Um, also Warner Archive, a couple other Warner Archive titles here. Uh, one is uh, a regular DVD-R, it's not a Blu-ray, with Lucille Ball, very early Lucille Ball performance. In Beauty for the Asking, uh, which is a which is a really interesting um, uh, 1939 film, kind of a, a really an overlooked RKO picture from the year because in 1939, you know, it was like the greatest year ever. Like the top 50 films were all classics: the Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz, and Gone with the Wind, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, Gunga Din. Yeah. I mean, it's just endless. You know, you just go down the line of the, the all the all the films from that year, but. Um, uh, yeah, this is a this is not a bad little uh, little thing to rediscover. Uh, some actors in here that you've probably never heard of and will never hear of again, uh, like Frida Inescort and uh, Patrick Knowles. Uh, but it, you know, this is a this is actually quite a quite a fun little uh, otherwise sort of negligible movie, mainly because uh, Lucille Ball plays you know she's really great as this manicurist of all things. But um, it's really it's a, it's a nice little. Uh, a little minor rediscovery. Well, uh, worth checking out.
1: Doris Anderson and Paul Jericho screenplays. Yeah. 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 They can write. Yeah.
0: And um, then also, lastly, from Warner Archive is The Hidden. This is a movie that I find interesting winds up on the, uh, on the Warner Archive uh, list because it's a more recent film. It's a new line of film. But it's kind of a, it's sort of an orphan movie in many respects. It was, it was a genre sensation on a cult level, but it never really kind of broke out mm. at the time. And um, there's a commentary here with Jack Shoulder, the uh, the director, and uh, Tim Hunter, and a uh, special effects production footage thing here that he also narrates, and then a
1: trailer. So there are a few extras on here. But the... Um... It was, I remember this being... I remember really enjoying this movie. This was the kind of movie you went to see at the theater. I went to see yeah, this movie. Yeah, for sure. The back, for in sure. Day, back in the day. Michael Nury, Claudia Christian... Uh, that whole sequence when the yeah. it's a, it's about an alien uh, that, that, that 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 comes here and the alien is, uh, is is running amok and then there's an alien hunter yeah and and then in the in the Count, alien Kyle MacLachlan kind of, yeah. basically
0: kind of doing an early version of uh, Agent Cooper in yeah many exactly respects. in many respects yeah. and
1: Claudia Christian for a while anyway yeah it's the alien and she's crazy hot and she's driving the what is it a Maserati or yeah. whatever they, and it's just you know it's it's a pretty neat movie and. And Michael Nuri trying to figure out what the hell's going on. He's this cop, you know, who's trying to figure out what's going on. It's and a it,
0: real, it's a real kind of a science fiction noir thing. Yeah. And it's, in many respects, it's a little bit like that, uh, what's the uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson movie of a few years ago?
1: Uh, what do we think? Where of? she's the alien. Scarlet, I don't know what movie we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. i look it up.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it, it's got a kind of a vibe like that. It's science fiction-y noir-y, but
1: Anyway. Uh, let's see what I, else. I got Dawn of the Dead over here. Yeah. Which is only interesting. This is the 2004 uh, Dawn of the Dead. Zack Snyder's is only interesting because you know we recently lost George. Yeah. Uh, and George's film Dawn of the Dead was 1978, which I always liked and thought was a, a very worthy um, uh, among his follow-ups to his original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, his Dawn of the Dead was very, very worthy. Zack Snyder's film. Uh, you know, really good fun is what uh, Ebert and Roper called, it. and I think that's that's probably pretty damn true. What's mostly neat about this is all the special features on it. And uh, you just handed me uh land, land of, of Land Dead. of the
0: Dead, which is coming out with it.
1: Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, cool. And th- so these things are just jam packed. I mean, so you love the movies. That's great. You love the movies. You're, you're going to enjoy these. But what you're really going to be getting here are just two jam packed uh collector's editions. Uh, that have everything you can possibly think of on disc one and disc two, two discs in each one of these things. Um, so that's what you want to want to be picking these up for.
0: What are your feelings about the Zack Snyder? I, I mean, everyone knows how I feel about Zack Snyder. So well, no I point. feel I
1: feel the same way about yeah. Zack that that you feel about it. Well, you know, look, this, the thing that I've always said about Zack, uh, when it comes to his filmmaking, is that he has an imprimatur, and he puts it on everything. Yeah. Um, but it's familiar and it's not interesting. He's the reverse, for instance, of J.J. Abrams, we talk about him mm-hmm. too, who has no imprimatur whatsoever, but None. basically uh, uh, you know, he, he's water. Uh, and so he makes a Star Trek film he makes a, a film that looks like a Spielberg film he's yeah. it, what you want if you want somebody
0: to sort of uh, rejuvenate something old without making it look too too
1: distinctive keeping it familiar yeah. Zach, though yeah. he takes that Superman film and he, and he makes it look just like the 300 yeah. which is true you know, amazing as I've said many times everything in a Zack
0: Snyder movie is uh, is um, is is Wet and metallic, <laughs> and that's just it. You know, in, an, in, in pose, a vignette,
1: in a vignette,
0: pose and look wet and look metallic, and that's all he needs out of you. Um, so Twilight Time has pretty good, uh, set this month. All of it available at either screenarchives.com or twilighttimemovies.com. Uh, remember, these are uh limited releases, only 3,000 units a piece. So once they're gone, they're gone. Sometimes they re release this stuff, but not that often. So uh, these Twilight Time titles are, uh, are wonderful collectible Blu-rays, mined typically from studio archives, so they get special uh, licensing deals on some of these, which were released previously perhaps on a, on a DVD. But the, uh, the four this time, uh, and boy, well, I'll tell you, next month is a real barn burner. It's great. Uh, the four this time include a really interesting, often forgotten Michael Caine movie called Play Dirty. Uh, this is from 1968, Michael Caine's heyday. and uh, I'll, I'll say. Yeah, right. The six I mean he owned oh, the nineteen yeah. sixties.
1: Get Carter and oh, get so Alfie, so good. Man,
0: Man Who Would Be King with yeah. uh with, yeah John Connery. It, it it it's it, he and Connery were just fantastic in that film. Anyway, like all of these, it uh, all the Twilight Time releases, it has an isolated music and effects track, which is really, really fun. Uh and uh, you know, this is a, a pretty solid adventure film directed by um uh Andre and this is allegedly and I'm not I, I, I have not had a chance to really really research this because it says this is André de Toth's final film although I think de Toth may have done uh, one more film that may not have been released I'd have to I'd have to look into it uh, but anyway this is a, a North African World War II movie you know just combat uh, back when everybody just wanted to make adventure movies and blow stuff up, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And there's just nothing better than having a movie where everything blows up and Michael Caine's in the middle of it. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, same cinematographer as The Dirty Dozen, and uh, it's a really fun film. It's just, uh, it, you know, Andre de Toth was a real good workman-like director, and uh, Michael Caine just has so much fun and stuff blows up, and there's guns and Nazis, and it's great. It's play dirty. There is also The Pirates of Blood River... Which uh, I have not seen in quite a long time. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot again. Because the last time I saw this, it was on television at about uh, midnight or something. And I remember thinking, that's not a very good movie. And, you know, I still don't think it's a very good movie. But I actually was able to sort of hang on to uh, some of the performances in it, which are actually quite enjoyable. Um, It's, uh, you know, you've got uh, Oliver Reed shows up in here. And Christopher Lee, of course, is the, you know is chewing the scenery and I can, I can kind of hang with that. Um, but it, uh, you know, it's, it is otherwise just a, a kind of one of those twisted, um, you know, it's all about the Huguenots and it's a, it's, it's one of those really, really stretching history kind of movies. Um, a little bit better is Captain from Castile, which was made in 1947. Really, really beautifully shot. Uh, Henry King directed uh, period film. Uh, from the 20th century Fox e- period when they were doing a lot of these big epics based on a novel. Uh, and uh, really noteworthy mainly as a star vehicle for Tyrone Power, another student of my father's, as long as I'm dropping names. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is all about, it was Cesar Romero plays uh, Cortez. That's all you need to know. Cesar Romero is Cortez. He plays it with as much relish as he did the uh, the Joker. And uh, you know we've we've kind of seen this whole routine before. This kind of period piece, where they make everything look, you know, they take a, a a period of history, an event, a particular place and time that's you know should be really gritty, and they romanticize the daylights out of it. And that's what they did in the 1940s. It's what people expected. Uh, you know, so Cesar Romero is Cortez, and Tyrone Power uh, plays the uh, plays the, uh, the the sort of a, a guy who becomes. A part of the Spanish uh, expedition, on you know under Cortez, and um, the the most interesting part of this, significantly, is that Jay Silverheels, mm. most famous for playing Tonto, actually plays has a has a has a part here as an Aztec slave, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, I'd never seen Jay Silverheels in anything else. The first time I had seen this, I didn't even realize that he was the guy. So it was, mm. occurred to me. And then, lastly, uh, a movie that is a really has a real curious
1: reputation, uh, Wild Bill, with uh, Jeff Bridges and Alan Barkin. I got to tell you, I'm one of the few, and you know if you dig around out there, you can find my review of that movie. Yeah. I like that movie. I, I'm I'm the outlier yeah. on that. And on Kevin Costner, Lawrence Kasdan's Wyatt Earp.
0: I was just going to compare the two, so I'm glad you did it
1: first. Yeah, you know, I, I think that those, because, you know, there were several of these movies. Tombstone was the other Wyatt Earp movie, you know, the, the um, uh, uh, Kirk Russell. Of that period. Yeah. Of that period. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and there were a, a couple of other significant Westerns. You talked about Unforgiven yeah. at the top of the show. Yeah. Uh, and this was one of them among that run, what, yeah. maybe a 20-year run altogether, yeah. maybe 15, 20 years that starts with Probably Unforgiven. Yeah. Silverado was in there. Dances with Wolves might Dances be the beginning. With Wolves might yeah. be right there at the Silverado's top. Silverado's a little bit before that, yeah. but yeah. Uh, and I got to tell you, that that one, this, this movie, did not particularly Jeff Bridges' performance in this movie, which begins his run as the sort of crusty cowboy that he's yeah. been doing for, for a which while. Which he's now. still doing. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. Yeah. you saw the latest Kingsman. That's exactly what he's
0: doing. Um, it, it, Jeff Bridges has been chewing tobacco without actually chewing tobacco for about the last <laughs> seven or eight years. And all his parts, he's his little, kind of got a little something between his cheek and gum.
1: He had the smartest thing to say. He had the smartest thing to say about Harvey. You quoted
0: him for me. Yeah, he said, he said uh, he's facing his demons right now, and I hope he leans into his demons and comes out a better person. Yeah, that's a really amazingly gracious thing to say. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Jeff Bridges, I agree, is really good in this. And I think this film really got kind of piled on a little. If it had been directed by anyone other than Walter Hill, mm-hmm. I think it might have gotten a little more respect. But people, Walter Hill's never gotten a lot of respect as and a director. And he's made
1: about three solid uh, Last Man Standing. Yeah. Bruce Willis adaptation yeah. of Jojimbo, I think. Yeah in uh, this movie, and he had a recent. He had one recently. It wasn't very good. But I the,
0: love Forty Eight Hours. Forty Eight Hours. Man. I love Streets of Fire. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of great Walter Hill movies. I, I'll even defend The Driver and The Warriors, yeah, which are yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good Walter Hill stuff from the period. Uh, well, he's he clearly aspiring to something richer here. Uh, now the uh, you know the, then the Zanuck produced this Richard Zanuck and Lily Lily Feeney Zanuck. Uh, it's got a you know it's got a a, a lot of great production value. And the, I, full disclosure, the cinematographer for this film, and for most recent Walter Hill films, is Lloyd Ahern, who is a very, very good friend. Uh, in fact, where we're, where we're sitting right now, I can almost see his house. <laughs> um, and uh, seriously, it's like right there. And uh, Lloyd, uh-huh. Lloyd's an, a, a very, very good friend. Um, and uh, I've known him for many, many years. Lloyd you know, started as a clapper boy because his dad was the cinematographer for Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, wow. So he came up, you know, in the system. And uh, one of the interesting things about Wild Bill is that there are flashbacks in here which were shot on videotape. And you can tell it's very video. It's very black and white, desaturated. It's a real video-to-film look, like in a really archaic way. They're not trying to hide the video. They're sort of owning the video. And it's a period film. And, you know, it's a Western. And there's this video look that's very, very jarring. And yet at the same time, it totally works. Yeah, and uh, I it was probably about a gosh about two three years ago that I was actually talking to Lloyd and I asked him and I said, you know, that was I I, I need to ask you about the Wild Bill the video thing. What that was such a, a, a really daring stylistic choice because 1995 there's no high def. Mm-hmm. You're you're just totally going video like not even black and white film and. He said, "Yeah, that was Walter's idea and he, he just he thought that it would it would give it a style. It would let it be something. It would let it live in a universe all its own, mm-hmm. right? You know? Cuz once that happens you're like, "Okay, this is not a regular western. This is this is not a new western. This is not a revisionist western. This world, this is its own. It just creates a universe of its own." And it totally works. It's a it was a daring thing to do and I give it all the credit in the world." I agree completely. I yeah.
1: oh, you, you, you you I got Calamity Jane, best Calamity Jane. Uh, Ellen Barkin in that yeah. movie. As I, I'm, it just it was popping yeah. into my head. The other thing that I loved about that movie. And yeah. that's what it is. Yep. it was Ellen Barkin's Calamity Jane. Totally, she After, was fantastic. Absolutely right? fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Uh, what do I got? I got some. I got some horror, not horror, but I guess uh, sci-fi over here. Uh, 1940, 1 million B.C. Yeah. The, the Victor Mature uh, uh, 1 million B.C. You know, aside from the fact that this film is, uh, in, in terms of science, completely and totally historically incorrect, um, uh, humans of various different sorts, with dinosaurs of various different sorts. Okay, we'll let it go. Uh, uh, but what the heck. Victor Mature, Carol Landis, Lon, Chaney, Jr., uh, Conrad Nagel, uh, of course, directed by Hal Roach. And Hal Roach... Junior. Um, you know, this film is a lot of fun and spawned a whole lot of other films uh, at the top of that. Uh, you know, in, in 1940, as we, we made that run through the war years and up into the 50s, these sorts of films would come to be the sort of regular films that we would be going to see for the next uh, several years, and this one's a whole lot of fun. Uh, this is a Blu-ray with not a whole lot on it, wait, yeah, uh, A commentary know. track by, uh, you, you know, t- a couple of film experts, but not much more than that. And
0: uh, all, on that all similar front, oh, did you? You got another one that you wanted? To I, was gonna, to, I was
1: gonna, I was going I was just gonna, I was gonna toss over you know, Lucy. Yeah, Lucy,
0: Ball? Lucy uh, Ball,
1: Scarlett Johansson. We were talking about it a minute was ago. It, was it, was Lucy? it? Lucy? No, it's not Lucy. It's that way uh, ah, no, Whatever. I'll, anyway, I'll, I'll pull it up. Uh, I'll talk about Topper while you're looking at that 1937 Topper. Uh, Constant Bennett and Cary Grant. Uh, this was such a macabre movie to me. I mean, they die. Uh, You know, and they come back as ghosts, and they haunt this house, and they help this guy, and I don't know. It's sophisticated in a certain sort of way. Under the skin. Under, oh, yes. Right? That's what I was thinking of, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah, Jonathan Glazer. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent. Anyway, so uh, 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 this was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Very light uh, Cary Grant film, Topper, uh, with Burt Young and Billy Burke. Um, You know, a lot of fun.
0: Uh, The Devil's Rain on Blu-ray from Severin. Uh, so The Devil's Rain, if you've never seen it, is a 1975 uh, horror exploitation film that is 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 so absolutely wonderfully campy. You just you you've got to see it. It is this is like somebody made my dream list of people. That I would have wanted to see in an exploitation film. If this had been released in 1968, it would have been even better. By 1975, the genre is starting to run a little thin, but it's like somebody made it made my dream list. Like they went and they got Doctor uh, the, uh, Robert F- uh, Fuest, who directed the abominable Doctor Fibes, right, which is one of the better exploitation films. And then here's who they pack into the into the into the cast. Not just the aforementioned Ida Lupino, who I absolutely adore. Oh no. Not just uh, Eddie Albert. Oh, no.
2: <laughs>
0: Not just a, a young John Travolta and a Tom Skerritt. Oh, no. They get Keenan Wynn, uh-huh. who, of course, you know, Dr. Strange loved. You're going to have to uh, answer the Coca-Cola company. They get um, Ernest Borgnine. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, Ernest Borgnine as a, as a satanic priest. It's the best thing in the world. Marty. And even better, the Shat. Oh, William Shatner. William Shatner, Yes, yeah. William Shatner is in The Devil's Reign. And uh, it is, uh, it, it's really, really—it's this thing is just absolutely to die for. This is one of the most enjoyable drive-in schlock horror films you will ever see in your life. It is absolutely a stone-cold riot. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's a whole, you know, satanic priest, church of Satan thing. You don't need to know anything more about that. It is absolutely a stone-cold riot. It is so much fun. Uh, and uh, Severin just pulls out all the stops. The transfer is really colorful, very pristine, really, really rich colors. Uh, much better audio than this film has ever had in any other format. I'm sure most people probably saw this, you know, in a drive-in with a little tiny speaker next to your <laughs> next to your window and a very tinny. No, no, no. This thing, it's actually got pretty good audio, and it's really it's an awful lot of fun. So uh, you got to check it out. The Devil's Reign is just a an exploitation classic. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, Superman the movie is now out on a very strange double feature as well from Warner Brothers. Um, this is extremely unusual. So the original, the original theatrical cut of
1: Superman, Chris Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeve, still the, the best Superman, far and away the best. People argue about the Batman movies. Yeah. And, you know, whatever, I can, I can actually see that. You know, Tim Burton, uh, Christopher Nolan, et cetera. But you know what? Far and away Superman, Christopher Reeves, 1978.
0: Yeah, and my, my favorite Superman poster is of him in Superman three holding
1: uh, Richard Pryor in his arms. <laughs> By the time we get to the Richard Pryor, then. <laughs> we But that movie in the second one, of course. But yes. what do we have here? What is this wacky DVD? So, so this is
0: really a bit of an unusual thing. So uh, the movie released in 1978, theatrically, At a running time of about 143 minutes. And uh, there is also a 151 minute version, you know, about seven, eight minutes worth of additional material that constitutes the special edition. And then there is also a 188 minute television cut, which is called the extended cut the original version of this is not here. The original 143 minute theatrical cut is not here. This is the special edition with the extra eight minutes, seven, eight minutes, and then it has the three hour television cut on a single two film Blu-ray. I'm not quite sure, I, I mean, if you're a super, super, Superman fan, and you are a real completist and you want to have every single version of this ever, that's fine. I don't find that uh this is all, either one of these are really all that impressive. Uh you know, the the special edition director's cut is fine. It's you know, it's still not better than the seventy eight cut. There's nothing particularly amazing about it. It's you know, it's fine. It's got some some bits. And then uh I don't really know that we need three hours of Superman to be honest. No. Mm. Yeah.
1: Not even the, not even the good Superman.
0: Yeah, that that I don't know that we need that. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, Halloween television cut that has kind of a cult following. You know, there's an extra cut that has all these additional stuff and complete. just anyway. So anyway, that, so that's out there. It's a it's a curious double feature. Um, but there it is. So Warner Brothers is feeding the fans even more Superman cuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real quickly, a thing called Dudes. This is an old Penelope Spheres film. Collector's edition with John Crier and Daniel Roebuck. I had totally forgotten this existed. There was the uh, they call, they called it a punk rock western. This is from the Shout Select line. Uh, has all new material on it too. Shout has kind of I mean most of the Shout Select stuff is thing, are there things that I really genuinely remember very fondly. I don't remember this very fondly. Uh, it's it's a it's a really peculiar kind of a genre splitting weird experiment. Um, I wonder Flea was in it. Yeah, from Fleet. the Red
1: Hot Chili Peppers, right? Yeah,
0: I, I, yes. And uh, there's, yeah, and, and it's it's just odd. Uh, yeah, it's a strange movie. The only thing I remember positively about it is that Catherine Mary Stewart is in it, who was I was a yes. really big fan of at the time yes. from, you know, Last Starfighter and yeah. you know, Comet. I and I just, I really enjoyed her work at the time. I'm sad that she sort of vanished. But, uh, yeah, it's like an Elvis impersonator. It's just a, it's one of those odd Kind of goes along with Repo Man a little yeah. bit. One of those, you know, there were these weird genre splitting movies from the 80s that, that is, you just kind of scratch your head. But anyway, has a bit of a cult following, I guess. John Cryer's good in it. Um, this, is after, this is about when Penelope Ferris decided to go much more mainstream and for understandable reasons. Anyway, uh, so this Blu ray DVD combo set, collector's edition of Dudes from Shout Select uh has a bunch of features on it, new interviews with Pelopispheris and a lot of the other people involved in the film, including Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, theatrical trailer, and a featurette on the making of the film.
1: Uh, I got a couple from the middle 80s as well here. Three O'Clock High. I remember this movie. It's really weird. These movies, uh, you, I, 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 I saw these movies yeah. in the middle 80s when they came out. I went, right. to, I went to the theater to, yeah. to see these movies. And I don't know, it's just sort of odd, you know, have Phil, uh, Phil Janu movie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 Richard Christian. Uh, that was Pattinson. his, you know, th- there's, a, well, finish, finish it. I'll, Wait, I'll, well, I'll it's you, Casey Shumosko, and you know, Annie Ryan, Richard Tyson, yeah. all of these guys you know, when they were, you know, Casey yeah. and, and all of this stuff. And I remember this being a very popular movie. It was kind of a neat movie. It's about this kid who, who uh, uh, at three o'clock, is gonna have to fight this other this other yeah. kid, right? Yeah. Uh, and and you know he, he's, a, he's a, and the other kid's like this big, but you remember Richard Tyson because yeah. Richard Tyson he had a, so like a chest on him and some arms on him and was he was so he did red,
0: and then he did Red Shoe Diaries. Red Shoe diaries Yes, or yes, exactly, exactly, right. Yeah. And,
1: and the thing that I liked about this movie is that it, it, it didn't walk down that same path, right? I mean, it seemed like yeah. an after school special. Right. But there was actually this other layer of something kind of sophisticated going on in this movie. Both of these guys were outsiders. They were both kind of weirdos. And they had more in common than they, the, 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 you know. And, and, I, and I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I was like that in high school. It was yeah. like that. That's what it was like. And, and anyway, Three O'Clock High was one of those movies. There was a whole bunch of them in the Middle Ages, and one you just mentioned that, uh, of course, we've got, that's when we would have had our, uh, you know, uh, a breakfast club, you know, all of that stuff. That stuff was happening. That was interesting. From, you know, from, in hindsight, these things all have sort of like a shape. I remember very
0: well uh, Matt Reeves, director of Planet of the Apes movies. I remember when Matt was at USC. And I was acting in his in his little movies, and and, and thinking someday, uh, the the uh, Phil Giannu had just graduated mm-hmm. from U- USC USC guy yeah USC I was at UCLA Matt was USC, and uh, Phil Giannu was like you know he was Mr Hot Stuff oh yeah I just I just met with Spielberg and I remember Matt telling me like yeah I don't uh, this guy he's really kind of full of himself you know mm. he's he's and you know it's a funny thing now because everybody from that class
1: behind him. But he was, you know, so he's not, what's Phil Joanna doing now? Oh, yeah, Nothing. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you. Know, I would have to look. I mean, he had a career, final analysis, made yeah, some he movies. Made U- made he made, made, made Rattlet Hum. You know, a couple of, couple of studio doc. films and stuff like that. But no, you know. He's and, not He's not the hot guy anymore. Well, Hasn't been for 20 years. He was always biting De Palma, who was biting Hitchcock. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just this big bite. The yeah. other one is Slaughter High. Also, you know, this is more of a horror film, you know, a revenge kind of. Kind of movie, uh, 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 kid teased and and and, uh, and horribly mutilated in high school comes back for a high school reunion and decides to get to, uh, uh, decides to get the uh, you know revenge yeah. uh, on all that. Audio commentary here uh, from the directors, and, and but again, this is another one of those movies from yeah. the middle 80s mm-hmm. that came out and, they, and it sort of resonated. It sits yeah. in my head right to this day. Um, so interesting stuff here: Slaughter High and Three O'clock High. we've got a couple of criterions
0: really great criterions i can't even i don't even know where to begin so here's where i'm going to begin twin peaks fire walk with me on criterion i hope this means that the entire david lynch catalog is going to come out on criterion now because it deserves it i want my blu-ray of lost highway I just say that my wife worked on the movie i only have it on dvd it's not on blu-ray it needs to be let's just get that out there uh, so Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which is the prequel movie that was made after the original series and that, uh, premiered at Cannes, and I was there that year at Cannes in 1992, uh, and boy, I'll tell you, it really, it brought the house down. Uh, this is a terrific movie, and, uh, it, you don't even have to be completely immersed in the Twin Peaks mythology of the series, the original series, to appreciate it. It's just, it's a, it's a real head trip, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, this includes, uh, Everything that you could possibly want. They did a 4K digital transfer restoration. They maxed it out with 7.1 DTS uh, audio, and this thing just blows the roof off. Um, And, of course, you know,
1: we're coming off of what, maybe a month or so ago that the... The the, the new, yeah, yeah, the the return Twin Peaks series. Uh, You do want to watch this if you are watching that.
0: Yes, you do. For and, sure, yeah. and and that's all, and I would also recommend you watch the missing pieces, which is an hour and a half of deleted and alternate stuff, because there are things that you learn from the missing pieces, the deleted stuff especially that do kind of answer some questions. So it's it it's not just your usual deleted scene stuff. Uh, this also has the 2014 interviews, uh, new interviews with that uh, with uh, Shirley and Angelo Lamente, and uh, excerpts. From the Lynch on Lynch uh, part of the 1997 uh, book. So that is just a sensational release. And the other criterion this week is a Kubrick film. And uh, for my money, it's easily one of Kubrick's three best films. I I go back and forth between, you know, 2001 is always at the top. And then next is, you know, Strange Love or Barry Lyndon. Mm. Uh, Barry Mm. Lyndon is is one of the most beautifully photographed films
1: of all time. That's a film, uh, The Lenses. He, they invented yes. lenses for the film. Yeah, F one. You know. Yeah, so that he could shoot with that candlelight. Yeah, yeah, and and crazy. no one
0: and no one moves because they'll be out of focus. Yeah, that's yeah. why everyone in those candlelit scenes. Those that's scenes why they're all so painterly. Are, yeah, it's just it's a magnificent film, uh, adapted from the unadaptable novel by William Makepeace Thackeray, which is you know, who was a contemporary of many other great mm-hmm. authors and whose books have not really been adapted into movies to any great extent, but uh boy i'll tell you this has just it's loaded and loaded and loaded they even have an original 1980 interview with john alcott who won an oscar for shooting this film very deservedly um there's even uh an essay from the 1976 issue of american cinematographer among the extras uh the thing with uh, historian uh, christopher frayling uh, talking to ken adam who was the production designer i mean it's just this is literally a film school in a box this is everything that criterion needs to be it's barry linden on blu-ray it just does not get better than this. Uh, Ryan O'Neill absolutely kills it. And, um, you know, he does it with an Irish accent. Who knew? Fantastic. Really, really, really good. One of Kubrick's very best. Uh,
1: indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah. Um, um, a, a young um, uh, Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill was a very, we forget, because you know, you years go by. Ryan O'Neill was a very good actor. He really was as a young man. Yeah. Drama, drama, and comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually very good. He and his daughter, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer of the original film. Uh, a lot of folks will forget that there was an original Buffy the, Buffy the Vampire Slayer film. Yep. Uh, 1992, Fran Rubel kazooie uh, directed this movie. Not just, a, a lot of people, he wrote this theory. You know, he created the character and wrote the film, and obviously the, the, the television series that came later with Sarah Michelle Galar. Um, the neat thing that I always liked about this movie, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a particularly big hit movie, so I was a little surprised that it became a, uh, a big hit television yeah. series. Uh, but I love the way Christy Swanson, this is the 25th year anniversary edition, by the way, Blu-ray, digital HD Blu-ray uh 25 years. I, I love the way Christy Swanson played Buffy. She plays Buffy completely different. Totally. Uh, she she's a little surly. She yeah. she you know she's 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 uh she's sh- sharper yeah. than than you know the Buffy on television. She's sort of less owned, girly. She owns it a little bit more. Yeah. She yeah. she, she kind of like Dips into it a little bit more. She enjoys killing those vampires. Yes, she does. It's like it's like yeah. uh, she's she's glad to do it, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. not bothering her at all. Anyway, uh, special features here include a featurette and a whole bunch of other stuff. Luke uh, uh, Luke Perry, of course, was in this film. Paul Rubens, of course, is in this film. Brooke Horror is in uh, it's in this film, which is just you know it's like it's just pretty 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 neat. So if you're a Buffy completist, you're probably gonna want to go ahead and grab the Buffy the Vampire Slayer original 25th year anniversary edition release uh
0: the old dark house is actually a comedy william no, castle no it's <laughs> not william castle no james
1: whale yeah yeah the old dark house i think william castle remade this Yeah, I know he made one called The Old Dark House for sure. But James Whale. Yeah, this is the original. The original Frankenstein. Yeah, James Whale. Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, This is when uh, this is a, a James Whale film from the very very early sound era, 1932. When he is uh, he is really you know really really uh, getting it going with the oh yeah the, the castle time. film would have been like in the sixties yeah for okay. sure yeah yeah so this is James Whale uh, early sound horror film suspense horror film from nineteen thirty two uh, which features the very very first ever starring role for Boris Karloff who basically plays the butler of this old dark house and you realize very quickly where the idea of lurch came from for the mm-hmm. Adams Family. <laughs> uh so yes that is that is also a very very carloffian uh thing it is uh, this is based on a novel that was published just a few years earlier called benighted and uh this is from the uh, cohen film collection the good people at cohen for whom full disclosure both tim and i have done audio commentaries and uh this is uh, this is one of the the lesser known but better universal horror films from the period. Everyone focuses on you know the mummy and Frankenstein and Dracula and all the usual, in all the usual Universal monsters. But mm-hmm. this is actually really amazing. Uh, the idea is about you know it's very Agatha Christie in a certain sense too. A bunch of people you know come upon an, an old dark house. And uh, everything that transpires is, of course, both what you would expect and what you would not necessarily expect. It's beautifully shot, as, as everything that uh, James Whale did, and uh, really, really very interesting film. It's worth checking out. Uh, Cohen dipped deep into the, uh, the archives over at Universal for this one, and uh, what a
1: great one. Really, really great. Uh, Warrior. You know, this movie, 2011. Such an odd, such an odd movie. I like this movie. It didn't do very well when it came I still out. Tom kinda Hardy, str- I, can, I still kind of struggle with it. It, but, it's, yeah. it 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 reminded me in some ways of the old Matthew Modine film, yeah. uh, 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 that the, the wrestling film, Vision Quest. Yeah. Uh, there's thing but anyway, basically it's about these two brothers, uh, Tom Hardy is one Joel Edgerton, the other one Tom Hardy is this married guy, he's a high school teacher, high school wrestling coach or whatever and uh, you know, and he's not making ends meet and, and and he starts sort of like wrestling in these underground wrestling things. Mm-hmm which I guess exists, uh, and then he has his brother who's, uh, who's an actual warrior, he was, he was in the war. I forget which one of the many wars that we are fighting that he was in, but, <laughs> but he's in one of the wars. And, 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 and anyway, in a roundabout set of circumstances, he ends up pitted against his brother in a very important match, of these two guys. And they have this alcoholic father played by Nick Nolte. And I got to, you know, there's, there's something about this movie that kind of got me. I, you know, it's, subtle, it's a very manly, Gavin O'Connor, mm-hmm. of course, very manly movie. Uh, but there's a certain amount of heart in it, and at the end of it, it you know, it's, it's a story about these two brothers, you know. Uh, and I don't know, I kind of dug it, and I think it's 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 becoming something of a cult favorite. I've had a few people mention this movie to me, sort of like out of the blue, when we were talking about you know uh, whether it was Rocky or or or, or you know, the new Rocky or or something like that, and and you know the fighter, and they would throw this movie in with those movies, and they were really sincere about it, and I kind of think I. I might agree with him about that anyway. This uh, is a uh, 4K ultra HD uh, to this set, all kinds of stuff on it. Um, uh, from director Gavin O'Connor. Strange strange movie to put out on 4K, isn't it? Yeah, I would think because, you know, it's, mostly it's in that ring. Uh, yeah. And then and sort of little dark environs yeah. and fighting in alleys. I'm just wondering what the, what the the thought process was. It, it literally looks like, like that, this yeah. movie. It looks, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering what the thought process
0: is. And you're looking, you're thinking about what movies to get out there to the 4K early adopters. I'm wondering why they thought this
1: would... Fo- anyway. As opposed to something with wide vistas yeah. and a great yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway.
0: Uh we've also got something that should be on 4K frankly uh 20th Century Fox get on that LA Confidential 20th Century and uh, 20th anniversary edition of LA Confidential from 20th Century Fox Uh, there's a tongue twister Uh, here's I love LA Confidential I absolutely love this movie yeah Uh, it's just we lost Curtis not too long ago I think I know it's just it's so sad Uh, great great kind of modern classic noir set during the original noir period uh, written by Brian Helgeland, and Curtis Hanson directed by Curtis Hanson produced by Arnon Milchan all based on the great James Elroy novel uh, you know Dante Spinotti. I mean, everybody involved in this is just really just killing it. They're they're all working at the peak talent. And the thing that's amazing about La Confidential is this film in 1997 ran the table yeah. and won the LA Film Critics, National Board of Review, New York Film Critics, uh, the uh, National Society of Film Critics. It swept all of those awards. First film since Schindler's List to sweep all the critics awards and then go on to actually lose the Academy Award yeah. to Titanic. Yeah. So sad.
1: Kim Basinger finally got hers, though. She did. That
0: was good. But a uh, ton of extras on here. Commentary with uh, Andrew Sarris, James Elroy, Russell Crowe, Kevin Spacey, Guy Pearce, James Cromwell, everybody. It's just on and on and on and on. Uh, everybody's in on this commentary. Uh, it's really a terrific commentary given that, you know, it's edited together from all that stuff. Lots of featurettes. Um, you know... It's, it's just there's a music only track. It's just wonderful. If you love this movie, this is the only, only way to have it. Uh, get rid of that earlier Blu ray and grab
1: that one. A lot and, of. And speaking of, of Titanic, we're going to talk about a. a <laughs> I'll little, we'll carry on. this. I'll knock these off real quick Dream Girls. Yeah. Jamie Foxx, Beyonce Knowles, and Eddie Murphy, who should have won. Gosh, he was so good at that. This. Academy Award that year. I, it, it is still my feeling that him not, he was nominated. Yeah. That him not winning that Academy Award that year sort of broke Eddie I think it did uh, and I think he did. hasn't been the same since he hasn't, he hasn't been the same in comedy hasn't he did that drama yeah. in Mr. Church but you know he just it's just like he said all right then to hell with it
0: yeah I think uh, I, he,
1: he he's so good in this I mean
0: so unbelievably good it, you realize what a great dramatic actor he can be it's a really
1: layered performance James it's so Early good. Thunder says the combination of sort of like a sort of a James Brownie, sort of a Bobby Womack yeah, sort of yeah a, you know a, a amalgamation of these guys yeah. he does all his performances himself Eddie, he's yeah. singing he's, in that he's movie, just like so Beyonce and everybody yeah. else. He, you, know, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, Bill Condon, uh, a, a very good movie that I like a lot. This has a whole bunch of stuff on it, including a photo book and some extended alternate scenes in the, in, in the director's um, extended edition, which is on this, uh, and never-before-seen audition footage from a very young Jennifer Hudson, a, young, a younger and much heavier Jennifer Hudson. She never put that weight back on. Way no, to go, she Jen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, vice Versa from the body-switching year of Big, and
0: then there was the one with Dudley Moore. And, oh, and, uh, yeah. And, 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 yeah, that, that horrible. Yeah, a
1: couple with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis switched yeah, they, up with, a, with, I think, uh, who was, the, was the, little, the little girl that went crazy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everything, yeah.
0: Anyway, th- th- this, th- this was the year of all the body-switching movies, and one of them was Vice Versa with Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage a young Fred Savage liked was,
1: it. I'm sorry, I liked it. Did I liked you? it. I did. I'm sorry.
0: Oh dear. I, they're We're all ridiculous, but I liked it. Uh, you know, Judge Reinhold just acting like a little kid, and Fred Savage trying to act
1: like an adult. Uh, I don't know. The thing anyway. of it is, Judge Reinhold back then, anyway, his he had that face. Yeah. He looked. He looked like he a, a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like with a, in a man body. Yes, he did. And, and he was like pulling that thing. Anyway, whatever.
3: And, and now, and now, uh, Fridge Savage is older.
1: Fridge Savage is older now than Judge Reinhold was <laughs> when true. they made that movie. Very true. <laughs> Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Again, from the middle 80s, 1987. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is just, uh, I don't know, it's just a time for that. Celebrating its 30th anniversary. That's what this is for. Blu ray, uh, DVD. Uh, you know, the late John Candy, the great Steve Martin, and the late John Hughes. Yeah. Planes, Trains, and Automobile. The thing about this movie that, again, um, I like the most. As funny as it is, and it is funny. These two guys at the top of their game. Yep. It is so poignant. This movie is so ridiculously funny, and then at the end, it deigns to break your heart. Yes. And I'm like, you know what, John Hughes, you win, baby. You mm-hmm. win. He did that for his whole career. I know. He could do it, he could just do it whenever he home wants alone. to. He could it's just make it alone. so goofy, and then he'd just break your right hand. But
0: John, give John Candy props for being able to be a clown through this whole thing and at, and there's a crucial moment at the end of this where he looks into the camera. It's a point of view shot from the point of view of Steve Martin, and John Candy looks right up into the camera, and he makes you cry. Oh my
1: goodness! He, he it's, it's like like it's like a giant, uh, like a baby polar bear or a baby oh, seal or something. It's amazing. It's like there, and you just you know, it's you, a you, moment. And you know, and and, and after. Doing wreaking all of the mayhem yeah. that he wreaks in this movie because he's yeah. the one wreaking the mayhem. Anyway, this thing is just packed full of all kinds of neat I stuff. So, I just love this. Uh, special features, planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, you know what? Yep.
0: Let me tell you something. My wife has never seen this movie.
1: Okay. Well, actually, this, was, Thanksgiving, me, but, this Thanksgiving, this yeah. Thanksgiving,
0: we're gonna do a double feature. <laughs> we are. She doesn't know this yet, but we are gonna watch. And, you know, my daughter will be, it's okay. It's not, There's some language here that's not appropriate. She'll be fine. She yeah. doesn't know those words yet. Uh, we're going to watch Home for the Holidays. Yeah. You have to see this at your father's <laughs> organ. He can't keep his hands <laughs> off it. And we're going to watch uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We're going to watch this. Pretty much the only two Thanksgiving movies in existence, I guess, right?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Tyler Perry, make a Thanksgiving Medea movie. Um, just saying, just yeah. saying, don't do Boo 3. Do <laughs> do, do a Thanksgiving one. Medea, Medea in a turkey. That's uh, all I need to say. Malcolm D. Lee there you go. Time. So we, uh, we're going to r- wrap up this show of uh, classic tiles. We're going to talk about a bunch of kinos on Blu-ray. And then the last one of them is going to dovetail into our interview. And uh, w- the first of these is uh, a- is from the F.W. Murnau uh, restoration operation in Germany. And this is <coughs> the German version of Titanic, otherwise known as Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I'm half German. This was actually made – this was a, a Nazi-approved uh, Goebbels deal from 1943 made during the war, mind you. Uh, and so you watch this understanding that Americans and Brits in this are the bad guys. They're no, the bad guys, yeah. Just gotta you just got to know that going in. But as a as historical artifact, it's very interesting. It's, it's quite a good film um the probably a, a good reason why the uh, tide turned against Germany in 1943 because th- they put all their money into this movie and not into <laughs> into munitions. uh but
1: should they should have got linney to direct it. yeah
0: it's it's a it's a really really interesting film directed by Herbert Selpin never heard of him i don't know anybody involved in this i don't really know anybody who's in it uh but it's uh you know the what's interesting is this is that um the director of this film um, actually committed suicide during the making of the film. <laughs> and another guy finished the film uh, named Werner Klingler, but he doesn't get credit for it. In any case, it's a fascinating backstory on all this stuff. Uh, there's an audio commentary that you have to listen to by uh, Galen Studlar, who's the co-editor of Titanic Anatomy of a Blockbuster. And you've got to listen to the commentary. The movie is almost meaningless without the commentary. It's, uh, it's really an interesting Blu-ray. Uh, we've also got from the Kino Classics line a, uh, the Mario Bava collection entry Roy Colt and Winchester Jack. I've always found Mario Bava's westerns to be a little bit of a curiosity. Bava is, of course, a giallo filmmaker and uh, primarily. And uh, you know, this 1970 western is a little bit weird because it's a spaghetti western made by a giallo guy. And uh, it's kind of also a, a satire and a spoof even though sometimes it feels like it's not. And in that sense, I, I could only really compare this to from dusk till dawn, mm. which sort of tries to do the same thing a little bit. Uh, and I can see that Tarantino probably borrowed a few things from this anyway. Uh, so it is, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile curiosity. I would say Roy Colt and Winchester Jack, um, yeah, it's worth checking out. And then we got here. We got, here's the big pile from the uh, the Studio Classics line. This is what they uh, they came up with this month from uh, mining the archives of 20th Century Fox and other studios. Billy Wilder's Avanti with Jack Lemmon and Juliet Mills from 1972. Late stage Billy Wilder, starting to strain a little bit. Not as good as uh, his earlier classics from the uh, the fifties and sixties by any means, but he co-wrote it with I. L. Diamond, Izzy Diamond, mm. and uh, it still has you know that Wilder spark. There's still a lot of fun stuff in it, a lot of really really great moments with the uh, you know funny funny kind of romantic comedy stuff. Um, there are big big spaces between you know it's 140 minutes long, way too long for for the story that it tells. But uh, it's it's Avanti is still it's still a fun film. If you're a Billy Wilder fan, you'll still enjoy it. Clyde Revel, oh yeah, he's funny. Uh, the Indian Runner which was Sean Penn's uh, directing debut, mm. is still a very good film, too. Quite auspicious. Uh, right, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, think, I, I think Sean Penn has kind of become a lesser director as he's gone along. 1991, uh, there's an interview with Sean Penn on here, as long, along with an interview with Viggo Mortensen and David Morse. Uh, I, I, I do think this is a very, very good film, and I think that um, his, his, you, know, you
1: see his strengths as a director. It's, Whatever happened the Valerie Golino? She's in that movie. Boy, right? that's a good question. It, it, she was in that Trist LeConte film. Or yeah. or I think the hairdresser's husband, maybe or
0: something. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, Young doctors in love. Not a movie that I much cared for. This was Gary Marshall's first uh, feature attempt, moving out of television, and uh, it's a it's a mess. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, you know, scored by Maurice Jarre. It's just weird. Everything is all wrong about this movie. Makes no sense at all. It's kind of a, it's sort of a satire and a spoof of, uh, you know, the the medical soap opera genre, uh, but it never really comes together. There's an audio commentary here with uh, uh, Pat Healy and uh, Jim Healy, uh, which is kind of a little bit insightful, but otherwise not much, I mean, you know, Sean Young is kind of having her moment again because Mm. she came out of the woodworks to get digitized for
1: uh, the new Blade Runner. 2049. uh, We haven't talked about that, have we?
0: No, not really. We'll do that on another show. Uh, George Pappard in *Canon for Cordoba*. Uh, this is kind of a standard 1970 uh, kind of uh, semi peck and paw film. Uh, everybody wanted to make things look like the Wild Bunch around that time, and yeah, it's understandable. Uh, so this all takes place during the 1912 Mexican Revolution. It's really just a, a lot of action and not much else. Directed by Paul Wendkos, it's a, it's an okay film. *Canon for Cordoba*. Um, much better is the actual Peck and Paw film, Junior Bonner with Steve McQueen, which is a very underrated Peck and Paw film from 1972. Uh, it's because it's not kind of a typical Peck and Paw film. It is uh, It's a great character study of a rodeo guy and uh, Steve McQueen is fantastic in it. He's really good. This is some of his best acting, very, very uh, constrained. Really good audio commentary by uh, Paul Sedore and Garner Simmons and David Weddle, who've uh, who are who've written about Peck and Paw. I've met David Weddle, sat next to mm. us at a LaFKA uh, dinner once, the uh, the year that we gave the award to uh, Jerry Lewis and uh, Nick Redman, who is mm. one of the principals at Twilight Time, moderates it. So that's a really good audio commentary and uh, a lot of other fun stuff on here. Uh, a, a, a rodeo a passion, a passion and poetry. Rodeo time uh, featurette and then a passion poetry peck and pot anecdotes bit, both of them together. Hell of a cast. Feature length.
1: Hell of a cast. Robert Preston, Ida Lupino. Oh, it's great. Ben Johnson's in that movie. Joe Don Baker's in that movie. Yeah. I mean, in 72. Yeah. A, that's the, 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 they, they weren't well. Well, Ida Lupino was kind of late, Ida Lupino, but everybody yeah. else was like, you know, in their stride.
0: Uh, Portrait of Jenny uh, with Jennifer Jones and Joseph Cotton is one of these great movies from the time of Laura and a lot of movies that had kind of a ghosty, eerie, uh, otherworldly kind of vibe to them. William Dieterle directed this. This is really one of the best movies of this period, a Selznick-produced movie, and uh, highly, highly recommended. 1948, really got to check it out. I, Joseph Cotton is just so good. Uh, Portrait of Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E. Uh, We got another Woody Allen movie,
1: Take the Money and Run, which I absolutely adore. Um, Early Woody. Early Woody. uh, Outrageously funny Woody. Bananas Woody. There is
0: nothing funnier in any Woody Allen movie than the gag in this. And yes, I'm going to give it away. So here's a spoiler. Can it for like 30, 40 seconds if you don't want to hear this. (laughs) There's nothing funnier. First of all, the idea of Woody as as a convict is just hysterical. The, but the idea of a, where he, he carves a bar of soap into a gun, covers it with shoe polish, walks in and actually uses it to get himself outside where it's raining and the gun <laughs> foams in his hands and they take him back in. It's one of the funniest bits I have ever seen.
1: That gun uh, foaming in his hand is such a funny bit of comedy. Absolutely f- amazing. Because we don't always think about Woody Allen as a sort of visual comedian, but yeah. that, or, young Woody Allen was a very... Oh yeah, visual comedian. I mean, yeah. He was a stand-up comedian, so he's a talking guy. Yeah, but but Woody running around doing all those wacky things and all those visuals mm-hmm. in, in movies like uh, Everything You Want to Know About About Sex. Yeah. those Joel Schumacher and all of the production design. That's you know, visual comedy. It's great. So that's
0: uh, no extras on this, but you know who needs them? Woody is an extra.
1: Uh, then we've got another
0: Gary Marshall movie, Flamingo Kid on Blu-ray, which is uh, welcome. I love the, the Flamingo Kid. I think that's a really sharp film. Uh, made, one of the, made Matt Dillon's career. Made Matt Dillon's career. He is great in it, especially when he makes noises, when he eats. Very funny bit. Uh, Richard Crenna, Hector Elizondo, obviously, in every Gary Marshall movie. I saw Hector
1: yesterday in a very early episode of All in the Family. Yeah. He had so much hair. Uh-huh. He's in the elevator. You know the episode there the in episode. the elevator with the baby, sure. the ladies having his wife is yeah. having the baby. It yep. was fantastic. It's great stuff. Yeah. It's great.
0: Uh so yeah, uh, that's a uh, Flamingo Kid is really good. It Has an audio commentary uh with Pat Healy and Jim Healy as well. Uh and then um we've got a movie that I know Tim and I are both very fond of that got no love at the time, City of Industry. Mm-hmm. This is from 1997, John Irvin movie. Uh, the guy who did, you know, uh, Hamburger Hill and many other fine movies. Uh, which which Schwarzenegger film did he do? It was. Uh, uh, good question. I'm not get sure.
2: sure which one it was. Oh, yeah. Anyway,
0: one of those one of those Schwarzenegger films from the time too. Uh, this is a really good, just solid crime noir, and it's got some great performances in it from Stephen Dorff and Timothy Hutton, but
1: especially Harvey Keitel. Who's Raw deal. Raw deal. Raw deal. That That's was the one. Was. That's the one you yeah. did. Yeah. Harvey Keitel is so good in this though. It's like it's an Edward, Edgar G. Robinson kind yeah. of heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's
0: great. Uh, inter, you know, this is sort of uh, it, it's got you know interlocking characters, and it, it's really interesting how it spins its story. It's a very smart script, and uh, I'm just I'm really I'm sad this film didn't do better at the time. This was one of the last of the uh, the Orion films. Everything went completely south with that mm-hmm. brand, mm-hmm. and then we're going to end uh, end the show. Leading into our our uh, our interview, um, a few weeks ago, I had the chance to talk to Larry Cohen, mm-hmm. and Larry Cohen, of course, legendary writer, director, filmmaker. You know, he's there's a there's a there's a documentary that's making the rounds, which he and I are going to talk a little bit about on the interview, and that's all about his career, his crazy, wild, nutty career. And you know, Larry Cohen was was primarily at a certain point a white guy that made black exploitation films. Yep. And when the time came for that genre to sort of make a nostalgic comeback, Fred Williamson, who was going to produce a, a get-together again that brought everybody back together, Pam Greer and Jim Brown and uh, and you know Paul Winfield and Ron O'Neill and Richard Roundtree, they were all going to get together again. And who did he call? Who did Fred Williamson call to direct that movie?
1: Larry Owen. He called Larry Cohen. Huh? Uh, because Larry Cohen is out of his mind, and and, even, and so. even that was twenty years ago. What's funny to me is these. This movie, Original Gangsters, Original Gangsters was 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 you know twenty years after the original black yeah. exploitation films, yeah. and this movie was now twenty years ago. Isn't, uh, that, crazy? Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. yeah, that's
0: just time flies. Uh, but this is a very fun film. This is the movie that brought Pam Grier back. There would be no Jackie Brown if not for Original Gangsters. And it sort of put her back on the map, and showed that she still had chops, and she's a great actress. And everybody else is great in this too; they're all terrific. It is just so much fun. If you love that genre like we do, uh, it's great to see all these people together again in this movie, Original Gangsters. And uh, you know, Larry Cohen, such a fascinating guy, does a good job. He still got it. He also wrote Phone Booth, Cellular by the
1: way. Phone Booth. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah he,
0: he so, uh, without any further ado, here is the interview with Larry Cohen it is my enormous uh privilege and uh and i use that in every sense of the word to be talking right now with larry cohen a uh a really legendary fixture in uh in the independent film world in the in the film world generally who has been a huge influence on me, and whose movies have just uh, been such a, a treasured part of my uh, my upbringing, Larry? I uh, I thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we don't have nearly the time. I, I could talk to you for hours and and uh, make an enemy of you. I'm sure. Um, just all the questions that I have you
3: already call me a fixture <laughs> <laughs> i
0: let me let me first of all we're we're specifically uh talking uh to you with respect to a documentary a long overdue documentary called King Cohen, the Wild world of filmmaker Larry Cohen, which is uh this incredibly long overdue uh look at your career. Um, do you, when you look, I mean, I, I'm sure you're like most filmmakers in the sense that you feel like you're probably still just getting started and you don't really look at your career as being this this enormous body of work. I, am I correct in that?
3: No, no, I, I have an enormous body of work. <laughs>
2: okay.
3: I, well, I, I saw the picture up in Montreal where it ran at the Montreal Festival and won the Best Documentary Prize. And I hadn't seen it before, so I, I didn't know I had done all those things.
0: You you really were uh, an amazing kind of a... You, you came along at an amazing moment when uh, exploitation films and studio films and all these different sort of upstart genres were vying for attention at a moment right after the, the studio system was kind of falling apart. And it was a bit of a free-for-all uh, and you were you were one of the gunslingers in that Wild West period, and you did just about everything. Um, what what was it that drove you? What really when you, when you chose a film, when you wrote a film, when you wanted to direct a film, what was the what was the what really were you operating on? Was it instinct, or was there something special that you were looking for?
3: I just wanted to be able to be in control of my own movies. I had started out in television and written a lot of TV and. Uh, my own series several times, and then I got into movies and sold a lot of screenplays, but I was never happy with the outcome of the screenplays. I was happy with the money, but I wasn't happy with the pictures that they made, and so finally I decided the only way to uh, stop complaining about things and do something about it was to make my own movies, and uh, so I decided that's what I would do, but I only wanted to do it uh, with the condition that I had complete control of the movie, everything—writing, directing, producing, editing, choosing the composer, every, everything—even making the titles myself. So uh, I, uh, I, you know, I, I went to the other extreme of uh, from just selling the script to being in charge of every element of the picture, which I enjoyed doing. I felt it was much easier for me to do it that way, and uh, I liked what, what the final result.
0: You know, you, you started by making uh, three, as a director at least, you started by making three films that are sort of legendary in the so-called black exploitation genre, uh, Bone, Black Caesar, and uh, Hell Up in Harlem. And um, you were one of a handful of white directors who really, really made a mark in that genre, which... Uh, you know, is is a is a fine line to walk at that point in time. Uh, you obviously, also there was stuff like Shaft, which was a studio film. Um, talk a little bit but about
3: Shaft was, Shaft. was directed by a black director, right, right? But it was a
0: studio film. You know,
3: Superfly. Yeah, they were the big hits at the time.
0: So so talk about working in that genre and, 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 you know, where there are these very racially charged films and being a white director who is trusted by, by a black cast and, and uh, by other black artisans to sort of tell these stories. Was that ever, ever an issue?
3: I never thought about it, frankly. I mean, uh, and I never had any problem with any of the members of the cast or anybody associated with the pictures. All the black people were happy to have the job, and were happy to be making a movie. And uh, and I uh, I never thought of them as anything but uh, gangster movies, like uh, James Cagney's films or Edward G. Robbins's films or Bogart's films. This was just uh, you know uh, black actors playing the gangsters, and uh, the fact we shot in Harlem, uh, that was the perfect place for it because that's where it took place.
0: You know, it's interesting too because I remember very well when I last spoke to you at the original Gangsters junket in 1996. Um, that was pretty much the the same comment that everybody there, you know, gave me at the time. Uh, they all just sort of they were they were so thrilled to be working with you again, and it was such a great reunion, and there was a sense of camaraderie, and um, it it made me think, you know, this is there this is a this is really harkening to a different era. We think of that era as being one of of sort of racial and political division. But it seems like there was an awful lot of camaraderie on those movies and in that movement in particular because I guess there wasn't a lot of studio interference. You were able to pretty much do what you wanted, all of you, artistically. Is that fair?
3: Oh, yeah. That's the way it was in all my movies. I I didn't want to be involved with any executives or any supervisory personnel. If I was going to make the picture, they just have to get out of the way just give me the money and go away and let me make the picture and I would deliver it when it was finished and that was it. Nobody saw dailies, nobody made comments, nobody gave me notes i uh i I just went off and did my film, and nobody knew what I was doing till I was done with it.
0: You know some of your some of my favorite films of yours are the uh, are the the films that you know either straight up horror or kind of veer into the horror and the and the monster genre it's alive uh such a classic and then one of my favorites i was in high school at the time q uh the winged serpent which it was i think prefigures so much of what we do today with all of the cgi and the jurassic park and dragon mm-hmm. movies and you were you were on the cutting edge you made you made one before anybody else even dreamed of it before technology really even said that we could think in those ways um, well, that was
3: one of the last of the stop motion photography yeah. films that uh, you know that had been popular for years, uh, but was kind of uh, antiquated because uh, along came CGI and uh, you didn't need stop motion anymore. But uh, but I enjoyed doing it with the guys, even though it was very slow going. It would take them you know a week to do uh, thirty seconds worth of effects and uh, it drove me crazy after a while waiting around because I could make a whole picture. Uh, quicker than they could do the effects uh, in 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 three weeks, so uh, it was uh, it was it was a long wait. But we finally got what was worthwhile and put it in the picture. Uh, but I I don't I didn't envy that because that was one of the few areas that I couldn't do myself. I had to farm it out to people who were experts, and uh, they just were the kind of people who could sit in a room and fool around with these models uh, an inch at a time. And go on and just deliver uh, you know thirty seconds, forty five seconds, maybe a minute at a time to you, and you'd have to drive all the way out to Burbank to see it. And and, and in those days they couldn't even send it to you over the internet. So it was uh, it was it was the slowest portion of the picture for me. I wanted to get on with it.
0: You know, I I think you also deserve so much credit for the things that you haven't directed, but that you wrote and conceived. And, you know, some of your work as a screenwriter is, is really, really, really extraordinary and does not, in my opinion, get enough credit. I'm thinking particularly of something like the screenplay for I, the Jury, uh, adapted from the Mickey Spillane, and Phone Booth in particular, which has such a fascinating history. Um, could you talk for just a moment specifically about Phone Booth and, I mean, that film was, what, 25, 30 years in the in the making through various stages the, from when it was originally going to be a thing for Hitchcock. Could you talk just a moment about that? Because it's such an amazing story.
3: Well, it was only an idea for years. It was, it was nothing more than that. And uh, Hitch always wanted to do the thing in the phone booth because it was right up his alley. But we couldn't figure out how to do it, why the guy couldn't leave the phone booth. And then years later, it dawned on me that I already knew the answer. I had a sniper up on top of a building in uh, New York, and God told me to. If I just took the sniper and introduced him to the phone booth, uh, then we'd have a reason why the guy would be trapped in the phone booth. And once I had that worked out, it only took me uh, uh, actually over a weekend to write the whole script. I was up in uh, in, in, in Mexico on a vacation at Instead of going down to the beach where you couldn't go swimming anyway if you didn't want to drown, uh, I stayed in the hotel room and wrote the script. So that's uh, that was a that didn't take long at all to do. It all came pouring out when the time came to do it once I had figured out the the, the answer to the puzzle.
0: Well, I, it's a i i think it's a terrific film and. Uh... It's you know movie. That, there are often movies that sort of seem to be inventing a gimmick for the sake of a gimmick. But what's beautiful about a phone booth is that it it really does it earns all of its uh, all of its claustrophobic uh, credentials. It, it's uh, you know especially now in the cell phone era where phone booths are disappearing. I think it's uh, it's it's still just a terrific film. And uh, Joel Schumacher did a great job directing, and Colin Farrell is perfect. And I would have uh,
3: done better.
2: Hey,
0: but <laughs> I had it,
3: it, would have been better. Uh, I would have shot it in New York City on 8th Avenue and 44th Street, and surrounded by traffic and police cars and ambulances and fire trucks and buses and taxis and and thousands of people. I would have stolen most of it and, uh, and, and created the feeling of tremendous claustrophobia of the guy trapped in the middle of the phone booth uh, among thousands of people passing by, they didn't have that thousands of people passing by kind of feeling of the movie, because uh, he they had to recreate in New York City in downtown LA, and uh, so they missed out on that. And uh, and then I would have uh, segueded from day to night, so that he would have been in the phone booth as the police arrive, and then we could have closed down the streets in New York at night and shot that with searchlights and all kinds of. Uh, can we can we
0: push for a remake? Because that yeah, sounds great.
3: Well, uh, you know, the, everything is remade eventually, so we're waiting around for it. I, <laughs> I went to tw- I went to 20th Century Fox when we were making the picture, and I said, look, you're going to shoot this picture in a couple of weeks. It's going to be very low budget for you guys. And you're sending the script out to all these stars, you know. We went, one time Mel Gibson was interested in doing it and directing it, and then we uh, Will Smith, and then Jim Carrey, and... Uh, Everybody else wanted to be in it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman wanted to do the voice on the phone. Uh, uh, Robin Williams wanted to do the voice on the phone. I said, you know, as long as the picture is so low budget and everybody wants to be in it, why don't we make it three times? You know, all the supporting actors will be the same, but the star will be different. So you just shoot the scene, and then another actor will come in and do the scene, and then the other star would come in and do the scene. You'll have three versions of the picture with three stars, and you put them all out in the distribution the same day. Uh, and um, our, uh, audiences love nothing more than a contest. So they're all going to want to go see all three versions to see all three stars playing this phone booth scene. And uh, uh, it was a fabulous idea because it had never been done before and never has been done since. No. Wow. Uh, but uh, they wouldn't go for it because they'd never heard of it before. And studio executives won't do anything that they haven't seen before. Yeah. So there's no... There's no uh, effort to be original, because if you're original, you have a chance of failure and responsibility. If you never take a chance, you can't fail. So that's what's wrong with the industry: is everybody wants to do remakes, sequels, comic books. Uh, you know, uh, it just there's no originality. If you go to them with a project, first thing they want to know is what's this like? And I say it's not like anything. If it was like something, I wouldn't have written it. And they look at you with a blank stare. So what
0: can you say? Well, that's that's sadly true, and that was that's where I was going to kind of take this next, which is that your your career really thrived at a time when you could do those things, and it seems that in, despite the fact that we've got we have more tools available for independent filmmakers than ever today, and they're more affordable than ever, that we we just don't get the same level of risk and originality that we got back in in the heyday of the '70s when you were really you know pumping them out. Um, do you see? Well, when I
3: made when I made my movies there was a chance of theatrical distribution. Uh, at the beginning, there was no place else to go but theatrical, and later on, maybe television. But there was, there was no cable, and there was no uh, video stores. So you had to play the picture in theaters, and that's what I made them for, to be seen by audiences in theaters. And they could afford to advertise them in those days. But it got to be so expensive to release a movie. If you didn't spend $20, 30000000 million on advertising, you didn't get in the audience. And so it was like a poker game where they priced it so high, you couldn't afford to sit down at the table and play anymore. Uh, and once they wouldn't play the movies, the theaters, uh, uh, the, 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 the magic went out of it for me. I, I wasn't interested really in making pictures for home video
0: so, is there a chance that uh, that you'll we'll we'll see you again, uh, see your name up on the on the big screen? Anything that that you might be able to to do in this current environment that uh, that we can well, look forward to? I got a
3: to? package. I got a package of thrillers uh, uh, with uh, uh, J. J. Abrams' company, Bad Robot, and it looks very close to getting it going. So, right. if we do, we'll have a uh, ten uh, thrillers uh, in the package. And then i got seven more for the following season already written. I've got 17 scripts written for this series. Oh, that's great. So let's see what happens. I mean, it's it's a different way of of, of being in show business, but it's a guarantee that the things will play and be seen, and you don't have to worry about going out and advertising and try to get theaters to play the movie, because uh, these movies will all be seen on cable, probably uh, on Cinemax or... uh, Home video, you uh, know, and, um, and also on uh, Netflix and uh, you know uh, Showtime, all those all those areas are possible for this particular kind of series. So, I, I know JJ, who has the hottest show on cable right now, which is, uh, uh, as you know, uh, a very very popular program, in the Westworld. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll have no trouble getting this on the air.
0: Well, Larry, I wish you all the best on behalf of uh, my colleagues and uh, all of our listeners. Um you've you've made so you've given us all so much happiness and uh you know, we we deeply appreciate everything that you've done in your in incredibly storied career. Um we wish you all the best and we will look forward to more great work uh, in the future.
3: And if people want to see my films, right now they're available on on cable, on the internet, uh on I think Netflix or you can just go yeah. in there, and you can say my name. In many cases, if you have the audio ability, you can say Larry Cohen. My picture comes up, and then comes up a list of 14 of my movies. They're all available. You can rent them very reasonably priced. They can see every picture, almost every picture that I've made, and I particularly uh, recommend the private files of J. Edgar Hoover, You'll see, uh, particularly with all the politics that's going on now and the uh, FBI and the president and all that stuff. You'll see all kinds of revelations uh, about uh, what went on in politics in the United States over the years and the FBI's participation in the destruction of the Nixon administration. So I, uh, it's right there for them, and all they got to do is punch in my name.
0: And, you know, we, we uh, talked about Coronet Blue some weeks ago on the podcast as well, which is uh, one of your terrific uh, television efforts, and I think that's an out on DVD, and that just holds up beautifully, too.
3: Well, no. you know, Carnet Blue starts off with a guy being found floating in the in the river, and he's been shot, and he has amnesia. If this doesn't sound like the Born Identity to you, <laughs> I'm sure that Robert Ludlum based the Born Identity on Carnet Blue.
0: I I would be I would be I think you're probably spot on. Yeah. um and you know we're you're also I, I should tell you you are also going to come up in conversation at an event uh, that's being held on Saturday it'll be a past event by the time this airs on the podcast but on Saturday my colleague Tim Cogshell and I are uh, going to be talking uh, at the Ace Theater in downtown LA after screening of Jackie Brown which i think is is you know Tarantino pays homage to you several times in that film and well, he,
3: uh, he told me that he hired Pam Greer after seeing yep. her in Original Gangsters. Yep. And he went opening day to Original Gangsters at a black theater in Los Angeles. I said, well, why'd you go all the way over there? He said, I wanted to see it with the audience, which was intended for. And then right after that, he cast her in the lead. And And
0: she got an Oscar nomination as a result.
3: uh, uh, Yeah, and I wish it had done more for her career because she was a truly good actress and she should have got more leading roles in A-class movies. Uh, But it, it didn't happen for her like it happened for... Uh, some other actors who've been in Tarantino's movies, but but uh, she, she did get a lot of television work and cable work. But she deserved to be a movie star. Yeah,
0: and, well, uh,
3: and uh, well, maybe there's always tomorrow, right?
0: Yep, absolutely. There's there's never there's no never any uh, chances that the only chances uh, are the ones that you don't take a take advantage of. So chances well, always Thank you
3: very much for the call. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you, Larry.
0: We uh we wish you all the best. We will look forward to all uh, all the work that you have yet to come out.
3: And look forward to seeing the documentary. I think you'll get yes. a big kick out of it.
0: Yes, we will, absolutely. The documentary is King Cohen, and, and uh, I'm sure that that's uh, supposed to, I guess we should look forward to that coming out uh, later this year, early next year.
3: We just won the uh festival up yep. in uh, up in Canada. And now they're uh, playing it in London. Uh, the, the director's just leaving today for London for a screening, and then it's going to play in Spain, and it's playing in Portugal, and it's playing in right. Paris. It's, it's, and we're, we're, I'm going down to see it in Texas, at Austin, Texas, at a big festival down there. So I'll be doing that next month.
0: Great. Well, stay busy, my friend. We will speak with you soon.
3: I sure hope that I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. We will.
0: All right. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. All right. That is it. Another week done. We will be back next week with a lot of uh, new stuff and hopefully uh, not too many more accusers of James Toback and Harvey Weinstein. The numbers just keep going
1: up and I I wouldn't count on it, I think we're going to be talking about that